Good motherfucking morning to you, my friends. Good motherfucking morning to you. Thank you so much for joining me. It is the 1st of December. I was going to say the day, and then I realised I don't know it. Let me just check that. What is the day? Tuesday, the 1st of December. It's a good job that I'm not in a profession that requires me to have detailed information on quick recall. That's a very good thing. I better wrap this up, hadn't I? This intro is dragging on a little bit. <laughs> uh, welcome to UK Cop Podcast, episode three. Thank you so much for joining me. that's the intro done it always mellows out a little bit after that because that the I, I play that through an ipad reverberates around my studio slash kitchen just bring my notes up there we are episode three deep into the podcast world joe rogan next <laughs> got one of these um, bulletproof coffees don't know if you've ever had these but don't go to your grave they are very very good so black coffee with whole butter so like the full the real fucking McCoy butter you know with the full salt yeah that stuff sort of good dollop of that like a Maybe three quarters of a tablespoon, not to get too specific, but three quarters of a tablespoon sort of size. Coconut oil, and then mix that all up. So good. I heard, but this is sort of pub logic that I've not researched myself. I just did it because it sounded cool. But I've heard that it's actually... The, the purpose of the the oils, the coconut oil and the the fat in the butter, is to slow the release of the caffeine, so you get kind of a drip feed caffeine sensation. Which, to my uh, primitive understanding of uh, of biology, that uh, that seems to make sense. So I'm going to go with it. And plus, it tastes really good. I think it's quite big in the old um, what do you call it CrossFit community in that in that sort of world. I think bulletproof coffee is a pretty big deal. Okay, the plan for today. Bits and bobs, folks. I've got bits and bobs. I've got fingers in pies, squiddly diddly, plates up in the air. There are um, there are a few things that I want to cover today. I'll do a very quick debrief. Nothing of real note today. Um, slow starts of the morning. I'm on full dad duties. Boys have just gone down for their nap. Mrs. UK Cop Podcast is committed. Dan and Nick. Um... She's uh, yeah, she's working in today in the office, so um, it's it's just me here. Full duty. Currently in the kitchen slash studio with the war dog, who is asleep. I'm worried about how much this dog sleeps. Um, he he's only young, and uh, he seems to be up every day for an average of I don't know about thirty two minutes. Um, 
I drag him out for a walk. He, lo- he loves a walk, and I and I, I run with him, um, and he does enjoy that. But he's just he's just sort of fecked for the rest of the time. He's in his basket, and well, he'll have like a mental ten minutes in the in the evening. Usually, it, typically a really convenient point, like when I, when the boys are just falling asleep, you know, and then that oh, that sort of weird no man's land between the land of awakeness and a, a cold stone state of unconsciousness and there's this hazy bit in the middle where you've, you've got to transition them through and as soon as you get them into that stage you're you're in well that's that little period is usually when my dog decides to pick up his squeaky duck and hair around my living room downstairs and that, and that, that, that squeaky duck has an amazing ability to pierce through the uh the ceiling of the living room and straight into the boys' nursery. Wonderful. So, I think I'll do for the debrief training. I always mention training, don't I? Um, haven't trained today yet. I will be doing. I think I need to run. Running has been. I've been running less recently. Um, I did go through a period where I was running every day. I've been doing much more sort of metcon, metabolic conditioning stuff with my my kettlebells and weights at home because we're on a second lockdown isn't it at the minute so the gym's closed so I'm doing a lot of doing a lot of the Metcon stuff at home but I just feel I just feel I need to up the running a little bit I think I'll look at the old training diary fire that up quickly so yeah so over the last week so we go back to last Tuesday. I did Metcon on the Tuesday, another Metcon again on the Wednesday. Then I ran on the Thursday, didn't train on the Friday. Did Metcon again on Saturday, short run, 25 minutes on Sunday. Uh, short run again yesterday. It's not too bad, I suppose. I have done I have done a little bit, but I'm not I'm not doing the um the longer runs. I was doing earlier in the year. I was doing sort of 50, to 50 minutes to an hour. And um, I just feel that I'm getting a bit more, or not I'm getting a bit more out of it, but I just need to address that balance uh, a little bit. So um, I'm going to try and run this evening. Trouble is, it's um, it's dark early now, isn't it? And I haven't got a um, headlight do for things, so I've got to take my spare um, torch flashlight from work and... It's a bit, it's a bit awkward running along with that thing. Um, I need one of those little headlight things, you know, or ones I've seen. Um, like chest lights are pretty good. Dog handlers have them sometimes. They have these um, pretty cool, like a bar. It looks like on the stabby. Um, I'd imagine that's pretty good for running. So, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, wasn't it? Well, let's, let's bring it back on, bring it back on track. The first thing I want to talk about today is actually. Um, I'm going to read a pocket notebook entry of mine. Now, big fat preface here. This is not a actual pocket notebook entry from my work pocket notebook. This is just a term I use for um, uh, for me recording sort of observations from spe- specifically from, from jobs that I've been to. And, and the second thing to be included in this preface is that everything in here is anonymized. So the names you'll hear are not real names. Uh, there's nothing in here that would um, that would risk the revelation of the identities of the people involved. So, 
the pocket notebook entry for today. I shall begin. The aftermath is always strange. There is a stillness in these houses so absolutely different to the storm for which we are called. The storm is gone now, in South 13 I think. My crewmate and I have been deployed to try for a statement and complete the risk assessment, etc. Good evening, I say to the teenager that comes to the door. Can we come in? She nods and turns inside. Mum, victim, is stood just behind her in the hallway. Is it Angela? She nods and breathes a yeah so quietly that it is inaudible to me. And you're Claire, is it? Yeah, the teenager replies. Bit of an evening then. I am... Um, okay, I need to take some details from you. Is there somewhere that we can sit? A dining table or something? There's a few forms and things to go through. Well, yeah, we can, but we'll have to move it back. He's thrown it... Well, as you can see, everything is everywhere. Angela turns and begins to move through the mess and into the kitchen diner. I follow her through the debris, my boots crunching on the letters and the bits of paper strewn about the floor. She's right. Just as a hurricane might do, he has ripped through everything from he has ripped everything from its place. Sofa overturned, cabinets open and empty, frames from the wall, dining table thrown askew across the room. As Angela and Claire walk ahead, I watch them and scan about the place exactly as I am doing. I suspect I don't think I delivered that sentence correctly. Let me let me rewind one more sentence. As Angela and Claire walk ahead, I watch them scan about the place exactly as I am doing. I suspect that since he was lifted, they have been holed away somewhere in another room. What is uncanny about their movement is how it is of someone inside a place they do not know, just as I am. But they live here, I think to myself. But then, they don't, do they? All they knew before he did what he did is gone. All that order, the arrangement of the house, a place for everything and everything in its place... The belief that my husband will not hurt me, the belief that dad will not hurt mum, is now gone. And what remains is a state of chaos. And now their movement makes sense. Timid, afraid, scanning. That is how the human animal moves through a state of chaos. We have an evolved mechanism... my teeth back in. We have an evolved mechanism for trepidation in spaces of the unknown. Those of us that do not possess this, or those of us that did not possess this, of course, were mortally surprised by the monsters that hide in its shadows. I should have added something onto that line. Um, I'm just giving a nod to the evolutionary principle there, so there should be a line after that. So that, that last sentence, those of us that did not possess this, of course, were mortally surprised by the monsters that hide in the shadows. There sub should be something following that to the effect of, and therefore their genes are not propagated. Anyway, back to the text. Angela and Claire sit down. They are both, shock horror, not supporting. We begin the necessary paperwork. As Angela is talking, I'm struck by one remark that she keeps making. All of her account is peppered with the phrase, he's the nicest man, he's not like this. I do some expectation management around this at the end of our conversation. It is a common, perhaps even reflexive method of normalisation that I often see at jobs like this. The victim forges a kind of balance sheet upon which he will weigh the act committed against her against all that is good 
about the person who commissioned this act. I explained to Angela that the law, by which I mean, although I don't say it, morality itself, doesn't work like that. One act does not cancel another. Each act is placed on the scale individually. We do not weigh a collection of one's acts. We do not, for example, say, yes, Your Honour, we're fairly sure he did the murder, but he's double good at charity work, so do bear that in mind. It is to this point that Rand did not go far enough. Here I'm, I'm referencing Ayn Rand, the um, Russian philosopher founded objectivism. Back to the text once I found my place. Did not go far enough. It is not even that the individual is the unit of morality. So that's what Rand said. She said in her great Russian accent that I'm about to butcher ready. The individual is the unit of morality. Brilliant line. But, as I say, doesn't go far enough. Back to the text. It is, as far as the criminal justice system is concerned, as far as policing is concerned, the individual acts of the individual that are the units of morality. I assure you, I relayed this to Angela in far less pompous language. She thanks us and we leave. I do not envy the task she has ahead. In returning her house, marriage and family to a state of order, she will have to undertake a moral task with a level of complexity that I as a cop never come close to. She will have to evaluate him, her husband, as a person, as a whole, as a complete entity. She will have to decide whether or not the gap between who he is and who she thought he was is bridgeable. She will have to weigh perhaps her own ethical standards against the, her commitment to the family unit. She will have to decide both if and how all of this hurricane, all of this chaos, can be undone, can be put back. That is a far more complex business than the copper, the criminal justice system, which is, which is to say the state, is capable of. We finish up our paperwork and resume to await the next storm. I get that feeling a lot. The feeling that we, as an organisation, are a crude instrument for dealing with these issues. Because ultimately, her husband is going to be released. She's not supportive. We don't have enough for a victimless prosecution. He'll return to the family home. I don't know whether they'll be able to carry on as a family. I don't know whether this is an indication to Angela that she should hit the eject button and leave. I'm inclined to think that way. Um, maybe I'm, I'm tinted by the job we do. But for me that's a hard and fast line. You initiate violence, the game's over. We have as people in our relationships a constant decision between violence and conversation. In fact, it's the only it's the only real decision we have in many ways. And I'm not saying that violence is something that we should eradicate from the human experience. 
you you need violence actually um and I, I think i've talked about this previously but the what 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 a copper is is an authorized agent of violence and i've used this example before but if somebody that oh, i use these different examples so if somebody turns up at your place of work and they are being abusive and threatening they're essentially breaching the uh, they're, they're, they're breaching the peace if you can't convince that individual to leave then you need an authorized body to come and do so so when the police officer arrives if she can't convince him to leave then she'll have to use violence because it's unacceptable, we have decided, and I'm in agreement with that decision, for this individual to be able to waltz into your place of work and be abusive and disruptive and breach the Queen's peace. And if he won't leave by means of a conversation, he'll have to leave by means of violence. Now, we don't call it violence in the job, we call it force. Ironically enough, uh, I will be talking about force in a, in a few minutes or so on, a, on, a, on an unrelated matter. So I'm not saying that violence is something that we should do away with. It's something that we should do away with in specific circumstances. And I am firmly of the belief that it has no place in a domestic relationship. However, unlike me, us as cops, Angela has to deal in the grey. It's a very simple task for us. The unit that attended ahead of me and my colleague turned up there was an allegation of an assault consistent with abh injuries bada bing bada boom in you come job done book him into custody spin through the interview get the brief da 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 you know we we operate on the black and white there now there are times when we do we do we do exist in the grey lots of times actually and uh, i'll talk about this another day but policing often becomes a creative enterprise a lot of the time which is which is not the way that policing is usually thought about. Policing is usually thought about as a as a hard and fast system because you're dealing with legislation, policy and procedure. But actually, as you, you will know if you're in the job, most of the time, not most, a lot of the time we deal in that grey. But, but in these instances, turn up, crime's been alleg- a crime has been alleged, uh, Positive action required, domestic situation, you've got threat, harm and risk there, close proximity, suspect, victim. Kaboom. Get him out of there. Nice and easy. But for Angela, it is going to be anything but easy. She'll have to decide. Is this incident worth the destruction of my family? Can my pride endure living in the same house as this person who's done this to me? What kind of example am I setting to my children? I don't know the answers to these questions. I can't. I wouldn't be so arrogant as to say I could answer them for Angela because I don't know the granular detail of Angela's life. The problem comes, well, not to say this is not a problem, but this problem is compounded further still when you have people who are dysfunctional to the degree that they are 
wholly incapable of making decisions like the ones I've just described in their own interests. So with Angela, I could tell from speaking to her that she was a competent individual. She had a, um, a solid career, uh, very intelligent, although that's not, that's not necessarily uh, axiomatically correlated with, with uh, social competence or familial competence, but uh, I, think it, I think it's definitely a, a factor. Um, but I often deal with people who are not like Angela, who, whose value structure has become so corrupted and warped um, that it has rendered their decision-making faculties impotent. In fact, not even impotent. Um, they're they're often beyond impotent. They're, they're they're often actively destructive. I deal with people that will not only n not make de decisions in their own interest, but they will they will decide to do things that make their lives and the lives of people around them progressively worse. And as the state, as the cop in that household, in those moments. I am acutely aware that I am a crude instrument. I walk into these households, similar circs presented, crime alleged, domestic, positive obligation, do the nick, boom. But I can't solve the deeper problem. I can't manage the arrangement of this individual's life. And more importantly, nor should we want to. This is how you start to... to to harbour a desire of that kind is how you start drifting towards the North Korean or the the, the totalitarian method of, of existing. You don't want the police, you don't want the state to be arranging, arranging the intricacies of family life. That's a dangerous concept. And this is why they... In order for a society to function, you need a constrained state, so a, a police force that has set limitations, much like the one that we, that we do have. But the other side of that coin is you need family units comprised of individuals that are able to make decisions in their own interests, that have functioning value systems. It's only with that, with that, with a with a functioning value system, that people are able to navigate the nuance of these dilemmas. I think that's probably the point made on that one. There was something else about this job I wanted to talk about. I didn't put it in the initial text because I was, I want. I'm going to talk so little about the the information itself that it didn't seem to warrant inclusion within the within the text, but it's the upshot of that information that I, that I want to discuss. So, of course, whilst we're taking the details, Angela explains what's brought about this argument, and I'm not I'm not going to go into any more detail other than the following: the argument has been caused because. Uh, 
how to put this. The sexual aspect of their relationship is not functioning optimally. And the suspect had become immensely frustrated with that and had, it, it appeared to me, that was the origin point for this domestic ensuing and with the crescendo of, of Angela being assaulted. Should be clear, this wasn't a sexual offence of any kind. It was a, the information presented to us was a ABH domestic. It wasn't a sexual element to the offence itself. But the, the originating point of the dispute between them earlier on in the evening was related to, uh, to that aspect of their relationship. As I described in the text, this house was trashed and it was it was a house wherein it was fairly obvious that a state of order good order usually prevailed very squared away neat tidy clean etc you you as you know the cops that listen to this you become fairly good at sizing up houses with half a foot through the front door um, and this this was a nice family home I'm trying to handle this matter as delicately as, as possible because There is an interesting concept underneath this, but I'm I'm trying to work out a way to, to navigate to that destination without saying any more than I need to about the actual incident itself. I think I'm going to need to name him, so let's give him a fake name, let's call him uh, John. So John has become frustrated about this particular matter, and his frustration has built and risen to the point where he has decided to smash up the house and then decided insofar as his decision making faculties were even online at this point not that excuses it by the way to assault Angela and I think it's useful to think about what's going on inside John's mind at that particular moment. Let's think about the moment he's trashing the house. And it seems reasonably obvious to me that what's happening here is he has had a moment of emasculation where a particular facet of his persona is not functioning in line with his assumptions of what a man is and that has manifested itself in him throwing the house around 
And I, I would predict that in John's mind at that moment, it would have felt like the strong thing to do. I'm going to assert my physical presence here. I'm going to assert my masculinity. I'm going to assert myself as a man in this house. And I'm, I'm, I, I possess everything here. Everything is in my command to the degree that I am going to ruin it. I'm going to, I'm going to overturn furniture. I'm going to pull picture frames down. I'm going to drag my hand along cabinets and smash everything off them. This is my domain and here I am in command and I am in charge and I will, I will assert myself and I will be fucking heard. I believe that strength is a virtue. But I also believe that strength, particularly in men, is one of the most misunderstood if not the most misunderstood virtue that we have. What John has failed to realise here is that the real act of strength, the really strong thing to do, would be to detach himself from this moment, detach himself from what is physically happening, and to acknowledge that what's going on is not a comment on his character. It doesn't detract from him as a man. Now I... That would take a lot of strength to do. And particularly because there, <laughs> there's an element of human biology here. Um, it made me think about the... Uh, in Plato's Republic, there is a poet called Sophocles, and he's an old man at this point in the dialogue, and he's asked, uh, are you still capable of being with a woman at your age? And he says, don't even bother me with that. I'm paraphrasing this bit. He says, don't, you know, don't even bother me with questions like that. Um, and I think he's asked something like, does, you know, does it bother you? And he says, I can't quote it exactly, but I'll... I, it's, uh, there's a couple of words in there that he does use, and I'll point them out after I do the, do the line. He says, I feel I've been unshackled from bondage to a madman. And I, the, what, the words I know that are there are uh, bondage to and madman. Those are the words I know are definitely there in, in the line from, uh, from Sophocles. But I don't know how, how he quite arrives at that, at that remark, so I just don't want to... Uh, make out I'm quoting directly when I can't can't exactly remember it. But um, the the essence of the point remains that men do have a kind of tethering to a uh, to an to an unreasonable aspect of their uh, of their character and. It is for for most men a uh, a driving force, a prime mover. Um, now the mistake, of course, is to allow this this prime mover, this this force in the first instance, to to drive you to acts that are, are immoral, as as John did here. That that's the error. Uh, the error is not having 
this aspect of oneself. It's a, it's a perfectly normal uh, and inescapable aspect of uh, being a, a man for, for, for most men. Um, but to, to allow it to corrupt your conduct, that's the, that's the error. So, um, I was, I came to uh, a sentence that I, I often come back to, and and I come back to it because the first time I heard it, it seared itself into my head, um, and I, I don't think I'll ever, ever forget it or forget the moment I heard it. It's a line by Jordan B. Peterson, the Canadian uh, psychologist, uh, or. Yeah, it is psychologist, isn't it? Yeah, psychologist. Um, he says, uh, weak men are dangerous. In that moment, John, even though it felt like an act of strength to smash that house up, he succumbed to weakness. He folded. He yielded to the weakness, and he became very dangerous. Strength is a virtue, but it's a misunderstood one. And John, in that moment, misunderstood it severely. It's a subject I'll return to. Uh, it's, a, it's a pet subject of mine. I, I bore the arse off of Mrs. Uh, UK Cop podcast talking about stuff like that. So um, we will we will revisit that. Um, okay, that was the pocket notebook entry and the the points around that. The next thing is a uh, bit of a current event. Actually, I say current event. It's not it's not particularly recent, but it, it surfaced in the media recently. So you've probably seen this video going around. Uh, it's mainstream news, etc. Of a female being pinned to the floor by a load of coppers and a female copper is striking her and getting her try, uh, uh, instructing her to to release her arm and the the female concern the the, the female member of the public uh, Janet her name is, is is given as in the media although I'm led to believe that's that's not her real name has um has raised a complaint to the the IOPC and there's an investigation ongoing currently and I thought it'd be good to I'm going to watch this video on the podcast uh, and give you my take on it um, there's a couple of a couple of things I'd like to say about the write up on on the I'm looking at the BBC article here um, there are points of note so I think what, what we'll do in the first instance is dive into the footage itself I'll play it all the way through and then I might pause it at certain points on a second playthrough and, and and raise some stuff we'll, we'll, we'll see how we get on and I'll, I'll, I'll do a bit of a commentary for you as the video is playing if, if you haven't seen it but if you, if you um, just google female punch in the head by police officers it's um in metland
So all you see initially is person, uh, the, the, the cameras are obviously a, a smartphone and the camera approaches a group of what looks to be one, two, three, four, four, maybe five cops with a, with a female lying face down on the floor, it looks like. And there is a female copper at positioned at the, the, the female, the subject's head. And you can just hear then in the background, I will crank the volume a little bit, this female officer shouting for the subject to release her, release her arms. And the subject shouts, I can't breathe. And now it just shows you a different angle of her being pinned down. But no more strikes are being thrown. So just watch that again. Right from the beginning. So cops are pinning her down. She shouts to release her arms. And a number of strikes from the female copper's left hand to what looks to be the subject's head and face. I'm counting maybe five, six strikes there. Okay. Go and watch it if you haven't seen it. I think for the for the context of this conversation, it'd be useful if you if you know the uh, the clip I'm talking about. The very first thing to say is that this is 25 seconds of footage. Where's the rest of it? Um, I'm I'm sure that this I'm not sure but I'm I'm reasonably confident given how often I have a camera shoved at my face that there is more footage of this than the 25 second clip of the female officer striking the subject in the head so where is that because what that would allow is uh, is for is for a great understanding of how we arrived at this moment where um, compliance strikes are being applied to the to the female on the floor. Okay. I'm going to read the write-up on the BBC. Janet told the BBC Newsnight she was pulled out of the car by an... Is that where it starts? Oh, no, 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 it's a bit before that. Before us jumping straight into it. Here we are. So eight officers are under investigation after a black woman was pinned to the ground and punched during an arrest. The Metropolitan Police has confirmed. The woman has told the BBC she feared for her life. She says police subjected her to further violence in custody. Um, that's a that's relatively easy to evaluate because all custody centres are filmed. They have full CCTV coverage and it's audio recorded as well. Uh, I should just say as well that you can be... Law, it's, this is always difficult guys because I, I know there are people there are cops who listen to this and there are people who are not in the job so I'm trying to sort of speak to both audiences so when I say things like um, you can use there are, there are lawful acts of violence that you can use in police custody I feel like the cops out there are like and we obviously we, we know that but I'm, when I'm saying stuff like that I'm talking to the people who might that might not occur to them so um, you, you can of course when you're in custody, be subjected to further violence, but it must be legal violence, proportionate, legal, accountable, uh, and necessary violence. We wouldn't call it violence, of course. We use it. We'd, we'd call it force. Um, 
two of the police officers under under investigation by the IOP, what is it called this week? The IOPC, Independent Office of Police Complaints, have been placed on restricted duties. Details into the probe have been made public after a Newsnight investigation. Mobile phone footage of the woman's arrest, which happened on the 9th of May after officers pulled over her car in southeast London, shows how several police officers physically restrained the young woman, who was a student in her 20s and had been a passenger in the car. One female officer can be seen repeatedly striking the woman. In a statement, the IOPC said eight officers have been served with notices advising them that they are subject to investigation, with six officers at misconduct level and two officers at gross misconduct level. Details of the IOPC probe into the treatment of the woman have been made public after investigation by BBC Newsnight into the way she was handled during her arrest. Janet, not her real name, told the programme that she had been working on an essay and went to get a takeaway where she met an old friend with whom she ended up driving to a cash machine. While she was a passenger in the man's car, it was pulled over after officers allegedly noticed he had been driving erratically the driver has since been convicted of drink driving. Janet told BBC Newsnight she was pulled out of the car by an officer before it had come to a complete stop. I just remember things turning like... I just remember things turning like they looked a bit radioactive to me because I couldn't... I knew that I was losing consciousness. Okay. She says that she told the female police officer who punched her that the officer holding her down was killing her. She says that the female officer smirked and responded, if you can talk, you can breathe. Okay. First thing is, this should be easy to investigate because I'm I'm making the assumption these officers are cammed up. I mean, we, I assume we all are, aren't we? Um, especially for a job like that I'd want everyone's camera rolling uh, the bit where she says she told the female officer who punched her that the officer holding her down was killing her and she says the female officer smirked and responded if you can talk you can breathe um the smirking bit, if that's gone on, yeah, that's probably not cool. You don't want to be smirking at somebody that you're restraining on the ground. Um, the if you can talk, you can breathe. I've said that before. You could, the, the the delivery on that is going to be the crucial thing. I've said to somebody I'm, I'm restraining who's saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I've said, if you can talk, you can breathe. And I'm I'm saying that to try and reassure them that you're talking to me I know you can breathe. Um, okay. Janet was arrested on suspicion of obstructing a drug search. Okay. She says she was lifted up from the street by her handcuffs and her hair braids, causing hair to be ripped out of her scalp and was carried to the police van. Yeah, the hair braids thing is not a good move. That That's happened, that's... Not good. You shouldn't be lifting somebody up by their hair braids, particularly if they're cuffed up. It's pretty easy to um, to get somebody up off the floor and walk them to a van, etc. Um, something I wanted to mention right at the start of this, by the way, 
is there is a dichotomy I'm trying to strike here between having a necessary conversation about uh, an incident, a use of force incident that's in the press and that's being investigated and so on, and doing the old armchair quarterback thing. I, if you'll excuse me mixing metaphors, I can't stand the nine o'clock jury. Um, it, it's a bane of our job that you are being, we are, we are critiqued by people who are usually sat reading a statement or looking at a crime report, uh, looking at a, a call log in a nice, clean, sterile, warm, safe office and got the big red highlighter out and it's on put it to you officer that yada 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 and the the sentence I always want to reply with is you weren't there these we, we are dealing as I was mentioning in that in, in the last uh, pocket notebook entry we're dealing in states of chaos now with the last pocket entry I turned up to the aftermath but that incident when my colleagues turned up fucking chaos as as the cops listening will know, it is mental when you turn up to these jobs. People are shouting, screaming, trying to get away. You don't know who the victim is. You don't know who the suspect is. You don't know where pe where people are. You don't know where the exit and entry points is. You're just wading into a hurricane. Inside Lewisham Police Station, she was subjected to further violence during a strip search which happened in the presence of male officers as well as female officers, something against police regulations. So let's break that down a little bit. The the male officer presence, yeah, that's against regs. You, you should be making all efforts to get that same sex only. Um, so not, not signing off on that, of course. Um, however, th this... This is the kind of clarity we need in the article itself. She was subjected to further violence during a strip search. Well, that's a pace power, so 117 of pace, you can use force to get that search done if it's non-compliant. You can use force to do that, that's a legal power. There, the, the subtext of that remark, she was subjected to further violence during a strip search. Well, yeah. If you're not... if. If we've got legal justification to strip search you and you're non-compliant, well, 117 of pace gives us force, gives us the power of force to do that. That needs to be in this article. <laughs> and I, I haven't read many more articles on this, but I've read two more and it never comes up. It never comes up to say, please have a, a power, to, power to use force to do a strip search. There's a quote from Janet here. They didn't even tell me they were going to strip search me. It literally just happened. And when in the presence of a male, male and female officers with my cell door wide open, so people were passing. She claims this was done to humiliate me more and dehumanise me more. Once stripped naked, Janet was subjected to more violence, during which one police officer punched her repeatedly very, very, very hard. There was a lot of intensity in her. Okay. Has that, I want to know, has that been corroborated? This punching her in the cell, that's really easy. There's a camera in the cell, outside the cell, everywhere in custody. So this article, is that saying then that 
that's been corroborated by the IOPC or the internal department for for the Met. I think they call it different, something different to my force. But the the you know the internal watchdog body within within the Met. Have they said yet yeah, the the internal camera shows her being punched repeatedly repeatedly, or is that simply what she's alleging? Again, the article isn't isn't clear. You when you when you've got that just that touch of inside knowledge, you can see the spin being applied to this information. And by the way, I'm not I'm not signing off on any of these things happening. I'm I'm tr- if unlawful violence has been used, if something has been done to deliberately humiliate and dehumanise somebody, I condemn that fully. That that's that's wrong. It shouldn't happen, and we should deal with the 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 people who've done so. But it's it's really important that we have an accurate discussion about what's going on here. And when you're dropping out the fact that you can use force to do a strip search, or this is what the the victim is reporting, it's yet to be corroborated by the IOPC via the CCTV footage inside the cell. It's really important to have those pieces of information on board because I can almost guarantee that average reader of this article is not is not putting that level of filter around this information. Janet said she resisted as she had recently had a surgery on her stomach and was worried about the pressure they were applying to her while she was on the floor. So now we're talking about the incident that was back in the street. The tactics used in this, arre- in this arrest, such as handcuffing, restraint and hitting, are known as use of force. They're all measures officers are permitted to take under certain circumstances. So now, now they start addressing that. But they don't raise it at the time, in the, alongside the sentence where they're saying she's subjected to further violence. But they've plugged this bit on the end about use of force. So uh, all officers uh, all, and all, and are all measures officers are permitted to take under certain circumstances. However, senior police figures uh, who have seen the video of the detention of the woman told BBC Newsnight the level of force and the number of officers applying it seems unusual. BBC Newsnight was obtained has obtained use of force data from 37 of the 44 police officers. It just goes on now to talk more generally about use of force, um, which is not not what really what I want to discuss here. Um, just scanning through this article to make sure there was nothing else of note in here. But go, do go, do go and read the, uh, the the full article. I just don't want to bore everyone with stats and figures about use of force across the country not that that's irrelevant it's just there's a there's another point i want to get to with all of this okay and there was something i wanted to mention about the incident itself um yeah i want to make it clear that I mean, we, you could be dealing with, was it eight officers that were involved? You, the, the, I don't know how many they said, actually. But you, you could be dealing with with this rogue set of immoral officers um, that are that are malicious in their intention and that are seeking to do this individual harm. I doubt that very, very strongly. 
if there are coppers like that, I don't know. <laughs> I know coppers who aren't great, but they're not great because they want to harm people. Or they want to do wrong to members of the public. Or they want to humiliate or dehumanise them. I don't know them. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying that from my anecdotal experience, I haven't met them. I don't know them. And if that if that's the case, <laughs> I was about to say guarantee. I'm not, I can't say guarantee though. I need to be a bit more careful in my in my language. If I was a betting man, my bet would be that she wasn't dragged out of that car and put on the floor and arrested. What, first of all, what's the what's the offence? What have you got? 25% suspicion of or nothing um, what she's arrested for is obstructing a section 23 drug search there's no detail on that in this article how did that obstruction manifest itself what was she physically doing that information need, needs to be present in order to assess the proportionality of what happened to her. Now, my closing remarks on this point are, I, th I think, the, the most important takeaway. I can't speak for the officers concerned in here because I wasn't in that specific situation. I don't know the context, I don't know the level of force that was being presented. But the amount of times I've used strikes on somebody is um, is zero. I've never struck anyone in the job. I've used lots of violence. Lots and lots of violence. The job is a violent job. But I've never struck anyone. And I've never struck anyone because it doesn't really work. You know what works? Wrestling. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That works. I am as confident as I can be that if I had a female lying on the ground, face down, she was not giving me her arm, I would not require strikes to get that arm out. Here's the thing. It's not the officer's fault that she doesn't know that. If she does know that, then there might be a problem. If she does know, if she has been trained on how to use a person's position and leverage to, uh, sorry, to use a person and leverage of their body to manipulate their their position in relation to you, if she does know that and she's using to strike a female, that's slightly different. But if she doesn't know because she hasn't been trained, and by the way, the only way I've been trained is because I, I've i done so privately, outside of the job. Well, then I don't blame her for that. She's, she's deploying the training that she's received. I've received that training. 
I've been in officer safety training where you've got a non-compliant person who is refusing to give their arm and I've been told apply pressure points uh, whole whole nother uh, rabbit hole full of laughs um, and if, if pressure points don't work start applying strikes and I smile and wave and get through the officer safety training and my internal dialogue is you have no fucking laugh am I ever striking somebody in that situation never from where she was in that position Kimura should sort that problem out or like a reverse Kesukatami to invert her position on the floor get her front facing side control cover up <laughs> it's just there are so many other things that I would have available to me there and, and other other practitioners of these grappling arts would have available to them that don't get anywhere near strikes and again if the officer doesn't know what I'm talking about that's not her fault that's the job's fault it's the job's problem the way we are trained to deal with interpersonal violence is poor the the cops I know that do it well are either privately trained in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu wrestling um, judo that sort of thing or they have enough experience to know what really works and what doesn't work and there's also a factor as well that usually with the police you can be mob handed because there'll be more of you than there is of the individual that you're, or the individuals that you're trying to control but you will find yourself um, in situations where that is not the case and I have been in probably three or four that I can think of where I was cognizant in the moment of the fact that if I didn't have the training that I have if I didn't know what I know I would be seriously worried about my welfare in that moment I'm also not saying that the striking arts are a waste of time more generally I train boxing I love boxing Love to, love to throw punches don't ever feel the need to do it whilst I'm on duty even in violent situations I, I'm essentially doing the same thing to every violent individual close down the distance get inside their dangerous weapon systems so their punches and kicks take the fight to the ground get past the dangerous legs secure dominant position if necessary effect a submission cuff up every single time bloody recording cut me off rude right in the middle of a deeply profound point there <laughs> i've i looked down and it i think it stopped recording at the hour mark so i don't know exactly what you what you missed but i i, I was i was 
prattling on anyway. So uh, we'll, we will wrap it up there. That that was everything. I think it was everything anyway. Let me just check my notes that I wanted to cover today. Yep, that was it, folks. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that. I, I enjoy these conversations. They are a kind of odd therapy to talk through these things. And I also I develop my own positions on things when I'm uh, when I'm speaking here. It is something about uh, commissioning the act out loud. That, uh, or, uh, uh, no, that's the wrong phrasing, isn't it? <clears throat> I'm running out of coffee. Uh, there's something about saying the, uh, the the thought out loud that uh, that applies a, a level of critique that is, seems to be unavailable to me when the thought remains inside the old noggin. So that is your lot, my friends. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And I will see you again next week for UK Cop Podcast, Episode 4. Much love, people. You bad motherfuckers. Bye-bye.